Let's pray together. God, we do honor you today, our Savior King. God, we honor you, your Son, Jesus Christ, for what you've done, for who you are, because God, it's only you. It's all about you, and that's what we want to make this day about. So God, as we lift up our voices and worship you, as we uh, give back to you, as we serve you, and now as we uh, look into your word, God, may it be a time where, where you are glorified, where your truth is, is known, and you are lifted high. God, we thank you. Amen. Grab your Bibles and uh, open up to Exodus chapter 6. Before I begin, we uh, had a few graduates this past week. I know, uh, I think Kirsten Woods, is she here? Is she serving? Kirsten, Matthew, Andrew Voiles, can you guys stand up, our senior graduates this year? Where are you guys at? Sitting in the back. All right. Just want to recognize a few of our graduates, and uh, I just appreciate getting to know them this first year, and uh, just their leadership, and they're a lot of fun. Love those Voil boys. Open up Matthew, or I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 6. Matthew's up there. If you've been here the past couple months, you would know that, that Pastor Doug's been leading us on a, on a journey of redemption through the book of Exodus. But really... Up to this point, up to chapter 6, there hasn't been a lot of redemption. It's, it's mostly been a, a journey of misery, of murder, of, of resistance, of trouble, of opposition, of rejection. Uh, it hasn't been going so well for Moses. But I think for us, you know, if, if you've read the book of Exodus, if, if you know where the story is going, if, if you know the end of the story, it's so easy for us to read back into the beginning and just to imagine, yeah, there's a few bumps on this journey, but, but God is good and God's in control, and it's just a matter of time till Pharaoh releases the Israelites. Well, that's true. That, that's true. But put yourself in Moses. Put yourself in his shoes here in the land of Egypt, here in chapters uh, 1 through 6. Life is not going so well. There's a lot of trouble, a lot of misery, a lot of opposition. Life's not good. In fact, Life stinks. Here for Moses, life literally stinks for these people. Exodus 5, uh, verse 21, just before our text today, it says that Moses and Aaron and the Israelites, they became a stench before Pharaoh. I like that, a stench. But what does that mean? What does it mean to become a stench before Pharaoh? You know, at least my wife tells me I've got some, some stinky feet. I've got a stench to my foot. So is this stench before Pharaoh, is this some kind of an irritating, a lingering, just kind of an obnoxious smell? Or is it worse? You know, maybe think of like a, a sour milk. Is this stench just some kind of a, a disgusting, just this rancid, just a, a foul smell? What, what is it? Or is it worse? This word stench, it's, it's the same word used when, when Moses takes his staff, strikes the Nile River, and all of the water turns to blood, and all of the fish die, and the river became a stench. It's the same word used during the, the plagues of the frog, when, when thousands upon thousands of frogs covered the land of Egypt. They're hopping everywhere, and then they die. And, and they're collected into these huge heaps. There's, there's these huge piles of, of dead frogs. And the land became a 
stench. Here for Moses, ending chapter 5, he's a stench before Pharaoh. Life literally stinks like like thousands of dead frogs and, and fish. Life is not going so well. Well, why not? Quick review, uh, chapters 4 and 5, kind of where we've been uh, leading up to today. Chapter 4, God meets with, Mo- with Moses on top of Mount Sinai. Here, God encounters Moses and reveals himself and calls Moses as his messenger. And then God equips Moses. He gives him uh, the ability to perform miracles and signs and wonders. And Moses, he, he's the man. I mean, he's got the support of the elders. He's got the call of God. He's got the, the power to do this. He's going to be the emancipator of Israel. He's going to redeem them and save them and rescue them. He's He's got all the Israelite nation backing him and and rooting for him and supporting him. But then there's a problem. Because God tells Moses to walk up to Pharaoh, stand toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth at this time, and demand for the release of all these Israelites. Moses is supposed to request that, that Pharaoh would just give up About 2 million people, 2 million that have been slaves for for about 430 years. And Moses is is supposed to just walk in there right into the palace and and ask for all of these people. Problem. Uh, Pharaoh says says no. You know, the famous words of, of Moses, let my people go. Pharaoh says no. They're my people. They belong to me. They work for me now. I'm not gonna let these people go. Here in, in uh, end of chapter 5, Moses is just, uh, he's crying out. He's complaining. He's, he's got a lot of questions. I don't blame him. God has given him a, a big task, and, and yet he is, he is supposed to go to Pharaoh and release all of these people. God, and Pharaoh says no. Things are just going from bad to worse. Life stinks. There's got to be something wrong. Exodus chapter 5, starting verse 22 Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Here Moses is complaining. He's he's crying out for deliverance, and we can't really blame him. Things aren't going so well. But I love the way that that God responds to Moses. God could have just zapped him right there on the spot. He could have had somebody else do this job. But God responds to Moses, and he comes alongside Moses. Even though Moses is complaining, God doesn't criticize him. He doesn't accuse him of failing. He's he's not mad at him. God comes alongside Moses, an all-powerful, all-loving God, and reassures Moses, it's okay. I know life stinks, but it's okay. And look what I'm about to do. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he, Pharaoh, will drive them out of this country. Here the Lord reassures Moses that, that God's mighty hand is about to move against Pharaoh. Now, you've got to understand something about Pharaoh. Pharaoh, he's the Egyptian ruler. He is, he is the most powerful, the strongest person on the earth. His name is, is well known. He's got great buildings, huge towers, sculptures, everything just recognizing and glorifying 
the people of the land of Egypt, they worshiped Pharaoh as a god. Pharaoh was, was a strong and powerful. He was, he was a mighty person. Pharaoh, he, he held life and death within his own hands. If somebody opposed Pharaoh with a snap of a finger, he, he could get rid of them, do away with them. People didn't stand against Pharaoh. But here's Moses standing against Pharaoh. And I love this, just this picture where here's Pharaoh, this, this strong and mighty ruler with a, a powerful hand. And yet here's God. And because of God's hand, because of God's hand, Pharaoh will let the people go. Because of God's hand, his mighty hand, Pharaoh will drive these people out from his country. A couple months ago, Krista and I, my wife, we, we got a puppy. We got a, a little puppy and we named him Wrigley. He's our uh, little dog. And uh, Wrigley, he's an accident. He's an accident from a Newfoundland and an English lab. But we love our dog, even though he's an accident. He doesn't know it. And uh, something about Wrigley is uh, he's got these, these huge paws. He's got some big feet. He's five months old. He's over 50 pounds, and, and he's got these huge paws. Just Friday, we were walking through Eagle Creek, and this lady comes up to us and says, your dog is all feet. Well, our dog's got big feet. We're constantly being told that. But Wrigley's feet, they reveal something about him. Yeah, he's got these big paws because someday he's going to be a big dog. And I love here in Exodus 1 where, where God is revealing something about his hand. God's got these, these mighty hands, this strong hand. God's a, a mighty God. God is a, a strong God. But Pharaoh, remember Pharaoh, put herself back here. Pharaoh, he's strong. He's powerful. He's mighty. And I think what's going on here, Pharaoh, he's got this firm white knuckle grip on the people of Israel. He's not letting go. But God is going to make Pharaoh let these people go. And what we have is, I think it's an arm wrestling match. Who's got the stronger arm? Who's got the, the bigger hand? Who's got the, the stronger grip? You know, in the one corner, we've got, we've got Pharaoh. He's wearing the blue shorts. You know, he's weighing in at an impressive 180 pounds. He's the Egyptian ruler, and he thinks he's God. But then in the other corner, we've got God. I think the odds probably favor this corner. I think God's got a little bit stronger hand, firmer grip, mightier hand than, than Pharaoh. I think God's going to win this one. It's pretty clear. Verse 2, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. You know, here God says, don't be confused. Don't forget. Make no mistake about it. I am the Lord. Verse 3, I also appeared to Abraham, to, Jake, uh, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Here in verse 3, God tells us that, that he has appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and, and he has appeared to them as, as God Almighty, El Shaddai, all-powerful, all-sufficient God. But by his divine name, Yahweh, God has not yet made himself known. 
But what does this, this mean? Because we go back to the book of Genesis and, and, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they knew that the name of, of God was Yahweh. They knew that divine name. Even Moses in the burning bush earlier in, in Exodus, he, he knew the name of, of, uh, of God was, was Yahweh. But now God is saying that he's gonna reveal and make himself known by this, this name. But this isn't a new name. Here God is saying, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they, they knew me. They knew my name, but they never personally experienced the fullness of what my name meant. See, in Genesis, God promised Abraham that Abraham's descendants would receive this land of their own, this, this promised land. So Isaac and Jacob, they, they lived their life waiting for this land, never got it. They never personally experienced the fulfillment of what God had promised them. They knew about it, and they knew it, but they never experienced it. They never walked into the land. So now Moses, here God is saying now, now in this point in history, now with my messenger Moses and with these Israelites, now you are the ones who are gonna personally experience me. You're gonna know me in a greater way than ever before. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they, they knew about me. They, they knew my divine name is Yahweh, but they never personally experienced me because they never got to the promised land. So here is, is a, a, just a, a pivotal turning point in, in all of Scripture where kind of for the, the first time, God is, is extending this special relationship from, from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to now the nation of Israel. This is the, the origin, the foundation, the beginning of when Israel became this, this nation of, of people. And here God is uh, in his plan of, of salvation history and this redemptive plan. God is, is now making himself known in a greater way and is gonna, these, these people are going to be able to personally experience God. Right here for, for Moses, you know, Moses is, he's complaining and life stinks. God comes to him and says, Moses, you need some reassurance. My mighty hand, it's going to move against Pharaoh. And I've remembered my promise. And you... And the Israelites, you are going to experience me personally in a greater way than ever before. You are going to be the ones going to the land of promise. God is, is reassuring Moses with some incredible words. Verses 6 through 8, God gives uh, Moses some instructions. He gives some things to say to the, the people of, of Israel. And you've got to look at these, these statements of, of what God is saying in these, these uh, three verses. Verse 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from the under the uh, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with mighty acts of judgment. You've got to see that God is the subject. God is the one saying, I am the acting agent and I am going to do these things for you. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you with these mighty acts of judgment. Actually, it's going to be nine acts of judgment, the nine plagues, and then the Passover with the killing of the firstborn son. God is so involved here. He's not just letting things work out on their own. He is the acting agent. He is the one initiating this, this incredible plan. Verse 7, and I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. 
it's so easy for us to, to read into this and say, you, I will take you as my people and, and think, uh, you know, you as individual, you as uh, just you, you alone, you singular. But here in the original language in Hebrew, it's, it's a plural you. It's kind of like the Texas plural, y'all. Here God is saying, I'm going to take you all into my promised land. I will take you all as my own people. God is, is doing this amazing plan here with these, uh, these Israelites. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. And then, then as a result of these things that I have done, as a result of bringing you out and freeing you and redeeming you, as a result of, of taking you as my people and a result of me being your God, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Verse 8, and I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. You know, just like in court, when, when an eyewitness walks up to the, to the bench and, and stands before the judge with the bailiff and, and puts a hand on the Bible, lifts up a hand and says, I solemnly swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Here's this great picture of, 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 of Abraham and God, of God standing before Abraham with an uplifted hand saying, I solemnly swear you and your descendants are going to receive this promised land. I solemnly swear that you will receive this. And this is true because God is, is trustworthy. You can, you can count on God. You can trust God because his character is trustworthy. And here, God is saying to, to Moses, with an uplifted hand, he is going to keep this promise. He has remembered his covenant, and now, Moses, believe God's plan. He has this, this incredible plan. You've got to see that from this text. God is not passive. He's not just watching and, and waiting to, to see what's going to happen. He's not just letting things work out on their own. God's not... Uh, uh, God's not just, he's not distant, he's not removed, he's not uninvolved. God hasn't forgotten what's going on. He's not blind. God sees, and God is revealing himself, and God is the main subject. He's the acting agent. He's the one showing up and making these things happen, and God is engaging the world in, and revealing to Moses this incredible plan, this plan for, for all of Israel. Here in the theater, we've got a, a few exit doors here on the sides and also on the back, and we've got a nice exit sign right there. Um, an exit is what? It's simply a, it's a door out of, it's, uh, it's an exit, it's an entrance away from the, the theater. Well, just like the word exit, the exodus, it means a, a road out of or a road away from. And the book is titled Exodus because it, it describes this event of when the Israelites left Egypt. But scripture looks at the term exodus and, and the word exodus as, as an all-embracing event. It's not simply just the Israelites walking out of the land of Egypt. The exodus includes everything leading up to that point and then everything following that point. The exodus it includes the, the call of Moses, the plagues that soften Pharaoh's heart, 
the Exodus includes the, the flight of, of Israel through the Red Sea out of Egypt and the separation of the, the walls of water and then the crashing down, the destruction of, of Pharaoh and his chariots. The Exodus includes the, the Israelites traveling to Mount Sinai and then the giving of the law, the Ten Commandments. It includes... Uh, Moses seeing the glory of God pass by in this cloud. The Exodus includes the Israelites wandering for 40 years into the promised land, ultimately the land of rest. That's how scripture looks back to the Exodus. It's this this huge all-embracing event that describes how God has redeemed and rescued and saved his people. It's not just an escape route. It's not just a, a walk along the trail to get out of Egypt. Yeah, that was a part of it, but the Exodus, God's plan here for his people is so much bigger because God's plan is, is to take these, these slaves, take these people in bondage and captivity, bring them to the land of their own where they become a nation of, of holy priests. They go from being slaves of Pharaoh to the adopted sons of God. That's God's plan. The Exodus is a part of that plan, but it's so much bigger Moses, you, I know life stinks and you need some reassurance. Listen to God's plan. Believe God's plan. This, this is huge. God plans to, to rescue them, to deliver them, to redeem them, to adopt them, to protect them, for, to provide for them. God's mighty hand is going to move against Pharaoh and he's going to make these things happen. And these people are going to experience God personally in a greater way than ever before. God's got an awesome plan here for, for the people of Israel. Incredible plan. Uh, how does Moses uh, respond? Verse 9, Moses reported this, Moses reported this all-embracing plan to Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, God just revealed this incredible plan to make you his chosen people. He will do these things, and the Israelites aren't even listening. They're so discouraged with their current situation, how they're being mistreated as slaves, and, and they're just so discouraged that they don't even listen to God's plan for their life. I've, I've been there. You know, I've had moments where, where I've been overwhelmed and, and discouraged or, or busy and I completely missed out on what God is trying to teach me, what God was trying to say to me through his word. I've been there. But I'm so glad that God did not give up on me, and he's not giving up on this people. Imagine if, if this was their only chance to hear God's redemptive plan, and they didn't listen. They would have stayed slaves. There would be no nation of Israel. Things would have been, been different. What if God just gave up on them? God didn't. God doesn't give up on them. God doesn't give up on, on us. Uh, it's so reassuring just to know that God pursues after us. God desires this relationship where, where he is known, he has revealed himself, and he wants us to enter into to his plan for our life. God pursues after us. Verses 10 through 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go. Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. Let the Israelites exit out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? Moses is, is right back where he started. 
I mean, starting chapter 6 at the end of uh, chapter 5, Moses is, is crying out. He's complaining. Nobody's listening to him. Nobody likes him. Life stinks. Now, after all of these words of, of reassurance, of, of all these things that God is going to do, has promised, Moses is complaining. Moses is whining. Moses, he just doesn't, doesn't get it at this point. You know, when you're watching something on TV, it's, uh, it's your favorite show you've been following for, for a season, for a series. Now, after weeks, you're at this, this huge, this pivotal point. The, the suspense has been building, the tension. There's been some kind of a conflict or a crisis, and it's been building for weeks now. And here, you're just hanging at the suspense. There's about to be conflict resolution. Something's about to happen. And then your show skips to commercial break. Always happens. Right here. Verses 13 through 26, commercial break of the Old Testament. It's a genealogy. So why is this genealogy here? Well, I, I think there's a, there's a couple reasons. Up until this point, it's been a, a continuous storyline. There's been a moving line of thought. And you've been seeing this, this conflict escalating, this, this story of Moses and the Israelites before Pharaoh. It's been building up. And right here, right before there's supposed to be resolution, right before God's about to do something great, we have the commercial break. I think... Uh, couple reasons this, this genealogy is, is here. And first, um, it, uh, it validates the line of, of Moses and Aaron. In verse 16, it says that uh, this, it lists the sons of the tribe of Levi. It lists, lists the sons of Levi, Levi. So here, it gives credentials. It, it gives uh, the resume. It kind of checks out Moses and Aaron that they, they actually come from the tribe of Levi. And this is going to be important later on in, in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy when Moses and Aaron take on more of a, a function as a priest. If you wanted to be a priest, you had to come from the tribe of Levi. So it kind of checks them out. Moses and Aaron, they're from the tribe of Levi. They can be priests. Things are good. And also, verse 14, it lists the sons of Reuben. Now, Reuben, he was the firstborn son of Jacob. So that would make Reuben the, the, the grandson of Isaac and the great-grandson of Abraham. So here it says that Moses and Aaron came from the line of, of Reuben, of Jacob, of Isaac, of Abraham. It checks out that Moses and, and Aaron, they're true Israelites. They come from Abraham. These are important for the people. They're important for uh, the book of Exodus. It gives them credentials. It validates who they are, where they're coming from. Um, but right now, I think, I think one reason maybe Moses inserted this uh, this this genealogy here is because he knows he's got people's attention. You know, he knows that people are tracking this story. They're hanging on every word, and they're just waiting to see this, this conflict come to an end. So Moses, he inserts this genealogy knowing people are going to pay attention. This is a, a good point. Everybody's listening. Here's my genealogy. And uh, may not be as important for us, but it was for the, the people of, of Israel. Um, if you have a DVR... Uh, what do you do when you come to that commercial? You come to that, uh, that commercial break in your favorite part of the show, right where you have that conflict, you skip. You fast forward. Well, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to hit the fast forward button, just kind of go through the genealogy. Uh, for time this morning, we're not going to cover it. Uh, but the main thing is just in, in verse 12 that, that we need to know is, is nobody's going to listen to Moses. Pharaoh's not going to listen to him. The Israelites haven't listened to him. And here's Moses complaining. He's not eloquent. 
He, he can't speak. He's, he's got these, these, uh, these babbling, these murmuring, these grumbling, these, these lips that, that can't speak before Pharaoh. But God says, Moses, even if nobody, trust, nobody listens to you, trust my words. God has revealed this amazing plan that Moses has got to trust. And he can trust it because he can ultimately trust God. He can ultimately trust the word of God. So Moses, don't, don't freak out. I know you're complaining. I, I know uh, life appears to stink again, but things are in control. God is, is uh, not surprised by what's going, hap- what's going on. And, and when we get back from this commercial break in chapter seven in a couple of weeks, there's gonna be some awesome things that take place. So what does this mean for, for us maybe today? Where do we really go from here looking through this, this text of, of Exodus 6, I think first, what are you holding on to? Remember Pharaoh, he had this, this firm white knuckle grip. He's holding on to these Israelites. He's not letting them go. He's holding on to these people. What are you holding on to? What are things that you're surrounding yourself with that you're refusing to give up? What are you clinging to? What, what is it? I just think we, we can't get into this arm wrestling competition with God because God is always going to win. What are you holding on to? Second, what are you listening to? You know, remember how Moses, he, he had this incredible message, this, this all-embracing, this, this plan of redemption, this, this incredible good news for the Israelites, and they didn't even listen. They were so discouraged and, and, and overwhelmed, they, they didn't even listen. What, what are you listening to? I've, I've been there, I've, I've been overwhelmed, I've been discouraged, and I've not listened to the word of God. I've not listened to, to what he's trying to teach me. What are you listening to for, for God's plan for your life? Don't miss out. I'm so glad God gave these Israelites more than one chance. And I believe God gives us more than one chance. But what are we listening to? Third, I want to spend a little bit of time on this one. What are you saying? Really this Exodus 6, this chapter, it's, it's a window into this conversation between God and Moses where, where things for Moses are not going well, but God comes alongside him and reassures him, God is in control, things are okay, God's hand will move against Pharaoh, Moses, you just gotta, gotta believe me, you've gotta trust me, Moses, you've gotta be on, on my side. Well, what are you saying? You know, there's days I need reassurance too. You know, sometimes life stinks and it's so easy to become discouraged. Uh, Things are unfair. You're being mistreated. It's so easy to feel just insecure and and inadequate and just maybe unimportant. It's it's easy to feel like no matter what you do, your best isn't good enough, that you're not going to be loved, you're not going to be accepted. No matter what you do, nobody's going to see it. Nobody cares. It's, It's easy to feel that. But we need to be a church that that builds one another up. We need to be a church. We need to be individuals that, that verbally communicate and reassure our love, our support, just our ability to care for one another. And don't just imply it or assume that they know. And, and don't let somebody else say it for you. We need to verbally express that we reassure, and reassure we love those people around us that they're special, that they're beautiful, they are smart, that we're so proud of them, that they've done a good job, that we need them and care for them. 
we need to be saying these, these words of, of encouragement and, and affirmation and, and praise and blessing for one another. You know, parents, uh, being a teen is, is hard. <laughs> being a kid is hard. And you need to reassure your kids that you love them. You've got to be telling your son that you're proud of him, that he's strong. Hey, good game, great catch, awesome job in school. You've got to be loving on your kids and verbally telling them you love them. For your daughters, you've got to be saying, she is beautiful, she is special, she is lovely. You've got to be saying that you're proud of her, that she is smart, she needs to hear these words. Parents, your kids are going to hear these words, but they've got to hear it from you. That makes all the difference. Husbands and wives, have, have you told your spouse today that you love them? Have you expressed just, just how thankful you are? Have you told them that they are your, your helpmate, your, your partner, your, your constant companion, your best friend? Have you reassured your significant other with the oath, with an uplifted hand, that as long as you both shall live, you are committed to them and only to them through sickness and health, through richer or poorer, for better or for worse? How are you reassuring your other you know, for me, it's, it's so easy for me to do stuff for my wife. It's so easy to, to mow the yard, to, to water the plants, to walk the dog, take care of the cars, fix the house. It's easy to do stuff. And yeah, that equates to expressing my love for my wife, but I've got to say it too. You smell good. You look good today. Thank you. We've got to be saying these, these words of, of blessing. And it's not just husbands. Wives, wives can generally be critical. Doug says, not me. <laughs> wives, you've got to be reassuring your husband. You've got to be encouraging him, giving him words of, of blessing. It goes both ways. Teens. Have you told your parents thank you for all that they do, for all that they give and give and give? Do you tell your parents thank you? Are you considerate? Do you appreciate how much your parents do? Man, I wish when I was a teen I had a clue what my parents did for me. Singles, everybody else. Uh, <laughs> not bashing the singles. Everybody. Who are the people that... Uh, that have invested in you, have sacrificed for you, have given to you. These people that have helped you, what are you saying to them? What, what, what are you saying? What are your words? How are you reassuring those people that you love them, that you need them, that you care for them? You know, are these words of, of encouragement and, and affirmation and praise and, and blessing, are they a consistent part of your vocabulary? We look at, at the picture here of, of God reassuring Moses and how sweet this is, and we need to be in the same habit of doing this with one another. We've got to be building up those around us. So as we leave this text, last thought, what are we communicating? What are we saying? What are you telling other people? I think just... Real quick from, from the stage, thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you for making this a priority, for showing up, for being here. We're so glad that you are. If this is your first time, thanks for coming. Come back and hear Pastor Doug. If you are, are serving, if you served in the first service, thank you. We cannot do this without you. 
We've got people serving at the sound booth. We've got the worship team. We've got ushers and greeters. We've got people doing uh, setup and teardown. We've got people serving in children's ministry, in the nursery with infants. Thank you. We cannot do this without you. We need you. And this is so cool to see the church functioning in this way where people are involved, where people are, are loving and getting to know and connecting with other people. Thank you. Andrew Voiles, can you stand up? On Tuesday, Andrew, you're headed off to basic training for the summer, National Guard. Hey, we want you to know we love you and we're praying for you and God is with you. It goes for parents too. Karen and Kenny Moore as well. Well, how do we end? I think uh, the one, one way to end is just say, Harvest, you are loved. And we mean that. We love you. As a church, as pastors, as staff, Nick and I and Doug, we love our jobs because we love you. You're loved. We say it every week, but we mean it. Let's pray. God, we love you because you first loved us. You gave us your son, Jesus Christ. You have allowed us to be part of this incredible plan of redemption. So God, we love you. You have given everything. You've given your all. So God, we come to you and we worship you and we praise you because you are God and we are not. God, we love you. We love this church. We love what you're doing here. Continue to do it as long as we're faithful. Amen. Let's stand together again as we close. And we close with divine reassurance of knowing, uh, knowing our God and knowing that he is who he says he is. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow love is casting our feet even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life I won't turn back I know you are near and I will feel no evil for my God is with God is with me. Whom then shall I fear? Whom then shall I fear? No, no, He never let go. Through the calm and through the storm. Oh, no, He never let go. In every high and every low. Oh.
Every high, every low. 